Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. What comes to mind when you think of Sears? Maybe the nostalgic and strange commercials? Maybe the appliances, or all the standard clothes they featured in malls. The Uncanny Valley mannequins, maybe? Sears practically had everything growing up. They were like Macy's or JCPenney's, always at one end of the mall, taking up an exorbitant amount of room with a line that always seemed to take longer than it should have, at least in my experience. So naturally, when we talk about the downfall of Sears, you're probably assuming that it ended the same way all the other mall retailers did. That's what other sources say, after all, that Sears's key failure was a lack of innovation. After all, Sears had an absolutely famous catalog, one whose rise has been compared with the rise of Amazon, and they didn't have a replacement for it. Sears could have been like the first Amazon, and they missed that opportunity. They failed in the e-commerce era. They didn't adapt to consumer behavior. Mall anchors died out. Their in-store experience sucked. And all this is true to some extent, don't get me wrong. I don't want to understate how important these elements are, but this also isn't the full story. This narrative fails to mention the former CEO's greed, his cost-cutting measures, and his failure that has been so massive that the company itself sued him, claiming that he stripped the company of $2 billion of assets. I mean, yeah, CEOs do mess up, but so badly that they get sued by their own company? That's just impressive. And on today's episode of The Corporate Casket, we're going to answer the question, did Sears die or was it murdered? From Sears. So what happened? And what's in store for the store that used to set the pace for American retailing? One of America's great merchant companies is Sears Roebuck. They took elite artifacts that only wealthy people had, made them accessible to people who were rising up through this new thing called the middle class. Back in the day, Sears was huge, like huge, like huge. Sometimes they say huge. That huge. I know some of you are rolling your eyes, but stop it. You're underestimating them. They were, and I'm not exaggerating, the Amazon equivalent of their day. And they sold just about everything. Even the kitchen sink, like quite literally. They sold houses, about 70,000 of them. And they've been around for so long that these houses were less than $2,000 at the time. Like, actually decent custom homes for $2,000. Jealous now, right? They didn't start this way, of course. Dear Mr. Sears and Roba, I've been sitting here... Sears was originally founded by R.W. Sears in 1886 as a watch company. More specifically, a mail-order watch company. Mail order as we now know it isn't really around much anymore, and I don't really know of anyone receiving a magazine or a catalog in the mail and then sending it back to receive product. Now you can place an order online, and the only direct mail I've seen in recent years are those old school fundraisers. But back in the days before internet, this was the snazzy way to buy things. 
Richard started planning and making this year's catalogs that propelled the company into stardom. They had a no money down offer where you would receive a product, inspect it, then pay for it too, making them respected among buyers. 20 years after they began, Sears started selling stock and opened a catalog plant, growing the company even further. Then by 1925, they opened a retail store. They started selling cars. They made today's equivalent of $16 billion in 1945, and they grew and grew and grew into an absolute behemoth. Sears hadn't even reached their all-time high yet. That happened in the 1970s when they had 350,000 employees working for them. And better yet, the employees were actually treated well. Shocking, right? Well, this was of course before the current standard where worker abuse is practically the norm now, but still. Workers had a clear path to the middle class, and those who worked for Sears from those days remained incredibly loyal to the company. To this day, Sears retirees see each other as one big family, and not in like the sarcastic way those Silicon Valley companies use the term either. And the stories are kind of cute, like how one shopper came in looking for a wagon for their horse, like all sorts of things. Or like this weird one, quote, one day, Mr. Parker said his security staff caught a young seasonal worker trying to steal seven plaid skirts for his sister and her cheerleading squad by wearing them under his pants. He just kept getting bigger and bigger through the day, Mr. Parker said. No greater anti-communist propaganda could be disseminated in Russia or elsewhere than a few thousand of the 40 million copies of Sears catalog. It's honestly kind of, I don't know, cutesy maybe to hear these retirees, see them like dancing at the reunion, all of them sharing stories around a company that treated them ethically. I thought it would be cuter if they, you know, weren't doing it at the expense of future generations who don't have those benefits, but still. Sears also had a few unique elements when they first cropped up all around the country, aspects that you probably don't see anymore, like their stock. In the 1970s and early 80s, store managers could choose what they kept in stock. After all, they knew what their customers and what the locals wanted. Rather than keep everything under the sun in their stores, managers only devoted the space to what they knew would sell. However, once Sears became an anchor store in malls and plazas, that choice was taken away from them. Quote, they thought they could do better than store managers. Then the store managers started to leave in droves, one person said. The department store chain was losing the key qualities that set it apart from the rest, namely customer service and a personalized touch. Sears also tried to push apparel on consumers when it had never really been known for that before. Without a doubt, things at Sears were slowly starting to shift. They lost their spot as the biggest retailer to Walmart, and while they weren't doomed by any means, they were on their first downward slope since the Great Depression, basically. They'd been a superstar, and now they were just a star. Something needed to change. A golden boy came along to help Sears change things, Eddie Lampert. And who is Eddie? That's a great question. On paper, he seemed like a fantastic candidate for CEO and a talented guy at that. He graduated from Yale, he had an internship at Goldman Sachs, and he started a successful hedge fund, ESL, all while in his 20s. His financial backer of ESL was none other than a Goldman Sachs bigwig known as Richard Rainwater too, and he had impressive names in the investment world following his journey. Not only did he have large stakes at AutoZone and AutoNation, but he also took a large stake in Kmart. Lampert was able to guide them out of Chapter 11 bankruptcy in 2003, probably the biggest feather in his cap when it came to helping floundering companies. In his personal life, Eddie survived a bungled kidnapping that same year, making him look all the more impressive to the public. 
Therefore, two years later, when Kmart bought Sears for $11 billion and merged, it seemed like the two were bound to find themselves on the road to success once again. With Lampert at the helm, it was only a matter of time until they were back up to Walmart-level status. And for a brief moment, it did seem like that was actually going to be a possibility. Before the recession, Sears' stock was at an all-time high again of $195.18 per share. However, the success was short-lived, and the company's combined profits were at their peak in 2006. After that, Sears started to tumble down a steep, declining slope. But surely Lampert, once hailed as the next Warren Buffett, could save them, right? Well, not exactly. That's the thing. Lampert was a speculator with Kmart, not a manager. And while I hate to say beginner's luck, it actually seemed like that's the case here because he was abysmal when it came to Sears. According to Investopedia, Lampert had split the company into numerous divisions, each of which reported separately and could compete for resources. He sat back and relaxed in his South Florida home, not interfering much, definitely not managing. Quote, divisions found themselves acting like separate companies, even drawing up contracts with each other. Compensation costs rose as each division hired its own senior management. These executives in turn had to form their own boards and their pay was determined according to an in-house profit metric that led to cannibalization as some divisions cut jobs, forcing others to step in. The appliances unit found itself being gouged by the Kenmore unit, so it bought wares from LG, a South Korean conglomerate instead. Now, hopefully, it was kind of a big quote, but hopefully that all made sense. The important piece to remember here is that he effectively left every brand under the Sears umbrella to fend for themselves. Lambert may have been the one holding the umbrella, but he tore apart all those divisions underneath it and made them fight to the death. By 2010, the profits were almost nothing, and come 2011, Sears was losing billions. This was no time for Sears to start floundering either. While we can sit here and talk about how difficult it is to pull a struggling company off their feet, Sears had new competition that was ready to kick them while they were down. Enter Amazon. Back in 2005, Amazon only made up about 17% of Sears. They were brand new, less known, and less trusted. But as Sears declined, Amazon expanded and surpassed them in 2011. According to Investopedia, in 2016, Amazon made $136 billion, while Sears made only $22 billion. And don't get me wrong, Amazon has eaten up a lot of businesses. They've exploited and undermined small businesses, stomped on entrepreneurship as a whole, and effectively killed their competition. Even Macy's, another classic mall anchor store, has felt the blows from Amazon's success. Sears is not the only company involved in this. However, they were already on their last leg and Amazon knocked it out from under them. But I know what you must be thinking here. How can Sears still fail when they were making billions of dollars? You have to remember that Sears had maybe, what, 4,000-ish stores, and most of them, if not all of them, were anchor stores and, of malls and stuff in 2011. And in 2012, despite many of them closing, they still had over 2,500. Come 2014, there were about 1,700 left. Keeping all the lights on and paying for all those employees is expensive, and Sears was in a debt hole that they couldn't climb out of. Their value had effectively plummeted since Lambert bought them. Once 2017 rolled around, people were predicting the end was near. Reuters said their shares lost about 90% over the years, and in its annual report, Sears admitted they couldn't continue this way. At one point in the article, they were said to be doomed to fail or destined to die too. But were they? Did they have to die this way? 
Or had there been a path out of this all along? All right, so you guys remember Ayn Rand? I never pronounce her name right, I'm sure, but that's okay. Anyway, uh, I've mentioned her before. She's the author of Atlas Shrugged, and her book has been, quote, the darling of the U.S. right for quite some time now. Well, she believed in the virtue of selfishness in her book, The Fountainhead. It's practically worshipped by well-known political figures across the world. And don't get me wrong, I think some of her principles make sense, but when they're taken to an extreme, well, not so much. But I'm sure that that argument can be said of almost anything, too. Some of her close libertarian followers have also been called cult-like before, and there's no shortage of examples of these groups failing, sometimes in hilarious fashions. But why does she matter, you might ask? Well, unfortunately for Sears, Lampert loves her, and his own brand of selfishness may have contributed to their supposedly destined downfall. According to Verso, he introduced internal markets, dividing up all those brands and different companies within Sears because he was horrified at central planning inside capitalist firms. It clearly was not a smart idea, and it clearly did not work out for Sears. And yet Lambert pushed his ideals onto the company because he has a virtue for selfishness. I get him wanting Sears to be competitive and selfish against other brands, but within itself, I don't think it's too surprising that this didn't work out in Lambert's favor once you get all the facts. The clothing section, appliance section, IT, and others were all separated. Quote, An eye-popping 2013 series of interviews by Bloomberg Businessweek investigative journalist Mina Kimes with some 40 former executives described Lampert's Randian calculus. If the company's leaders were told to act selfishly, he argued, they would run their divisions in a rational manner, boosting overall performance. The new structure, Sears Holding Organization, Actions and Responsibilities, or SOAR, was also meant to improve quality of internal data. But instead, Sears effectively ended up with a ton of individual units that didn't mesh well. Lampert's own virtues took Sears down from the inside out in a way, causing dysfunctionality at the highest level, as one executive put it. Truthfully, I think the 2013 Bloomberg investigation does a fantastic job of breaking down the Sears war. If you want to learn more about that, it'll of course be linked in my sources. I'm sure you'll discover one of the fastest ways to go from golden boy to incompetent manager in it. But there is one thing that even Bloomberg and Sears itself didn't recognize about Lampert at the time, and that's the extent to which he was murdering the company. Eddie Lampert went from being known as the next Warren Buffett and a genius to a CEO egomaniac and fast Eddie. See, when he went around saying that mistakes were made and he'd lost money along the way, Lampert had actually made money from investing in Sears. And how, you might ask? How did he make money from a floundering business? Well, according to Institutional Investor, he used his position as a hedge fund manager to his benefit. See, at Sears' peak, his hedge fund, ESL, owned about half of Sears. And when those shares exploded, so did his wealth. Plus, Lampert owns the debt and has, as some sources put it, effectively looted the company. It's possible that Lampert wanted the best for Sears, but sure, he was in a position where he won regardless of the outcome. If they failed, he'd still come out on top. And unsurprisingly for a guy who believes in ultimate selfishness, but still, it's a pretty garbage move, I think. And this happened in a few ways. For one, Lampert said that Sears was going to buy back Sears' hometown and outlet operation that he spun off in 2012. He collected close to $450 million in fees and payouts in 2012, and then seven years later, effectively bought it back for five cents on the dollar at 20 million. He also announced that he wasn't going to pay millions in severance to workers who lost their jobs. Quote, He cited his view that old Sears didn't live up to its responsibilities, so he didn't have to either. 
pre-bankruptcy, Lampert also allegedly sold off assets and kept the change rather than hold on to parts the business needed to stay afloat. It's a lot like what happened to Toys R Us. When a private equity firm bought them and then piled on the debt, as Dennis Sanders explained in a Medium article. However, in Sears' case, we have a name and a face to put on the whole thing, and that's Lampert. Now, I know it's hard to feel bad for a massive store like Sears, and I'm not even saying you should. Like, if the CEO of Walmart destroyed the company from the inside out tomorrow, I wouldn't feel bad for Walmart itself. But who I do feel bad for in this situation are the employees who are hurt by this. For years, Sears was seen as a great place to work. It had a relatively solid work culture, and the employees genuinely cared about the well-being of the place. Well, most of them did anyway. But when Lampert came in, he brought a lot of selfishness and greed with him. $2 billion worth of assets made him richer, while millions of severances went unpaid. I guess I shouldn't call it greed, though, because that minimizes just how much he took and how screwed up his actions were. In fact, they were actually bad enough that Sears itself had gone ahead and sued Lampert. Among a whole slew of allegations, they say that he rejected a $1.6 billion offer from Leonard Green and Partners and the Tommy Hilfiger Investment Group to buy Land's End because Lampert wanted to keep his stake in the brand untouched. Quote, the suit cites an email from the company's then CFO, Robert Shreesham, who explained to another Sears employee that, quote, Lampert was trying to optimize cash for Sears while maximizing his ESL equity stake because he knows that Land's End is worth a great deal outside of Sears. Basically, Lampert acted in his own interest and not that of Sears. But what does that mean for Sears itself? And can the lawsuit revive them? Now, the lawsuit is underway, and there's no doubt about that. Lampert made bad faith predictions that the company would suddenly turn around when, as the lawsuit alleges, he knew that wasn't the case. ESL has of course denied this, insisting that the allegations are wrong or misleading, and every transaction was done in good faith for the shareholder's benefit. Unfortunately, despite the suit starting in 2019, it was far too late to save them. Many of the articles that talk about this particular scandal came out around 2018 or 2019, and timelines about the company tend to end there too. As of August this year, only a dozen Sears stores remain, which is a very, very far cry from the thousands they used to have. Plus, you just know that when articles entitled, Is Sears Still in Business? are being written, that the company isn't exactly booming. According to Retail Wire, they're actually planning to close everything in 2023 sometime, so go grab those out-of-business products while you can, because they won't be around for much longer. Sears is, for all intents and purposes, dead. I'm sure that every company, be it a Macy's or JCPenney's or any once iconic mall store that had its own experience in struggling against Amazon and the death of retail has all kind of had to face this. Maybe not this bad, but you know, face it or think about it. Whether it's the lack of innovation or a terrible CEO, plenty of companies have been there. This is the corporate casket, unfortunately, so we've really seen it all. But what I think I find so unique about Sears and its situation is how it was once generation defining. It was once the biggest retailer out there and the master of innovation with their catalog. Then, not only did they refuse to embrace e-commerce, but they unintentionally hired the worst CEO possible. Even the brick and mortar stores failed in their own way, quote. A brick and mortar distribution network helps minimize the costs associated with returns, delivery, and even marketing. Target, for instance, has invested billions into transforming its network of stores into strategic distribution centers. Sears simply didn't do that. They became a total lost opportunity and eventually turned themselves into a laughingstock. 
I mean, did you see the last-ditch attempt they made to look modern? As many pointed out, it's effectively trying to copy Airbnb with that home and heart combined look, even when they updated it, and it's still pitiful and unoriginal. But with a disliked logo and an empty building, what happens to Sears now? Is there anything left? Well, the lawsuit did recently end, and Sears settled for a measly $175 million. Again, to us, that's a ton of money. But considering what Lampert was being accused of, it is a drop in the bucket. And it's definitely not enough to revive the company, not even by the greatest stretch of the imagination. Unfortunately, none of this seems to be going to those that deserve severance packages either. In my opinion, I think it should be a requirement that Lampert pay for severance packages at the very least. Not only were employees expecting them, but since he's such a huge and integral part of this company's failure, it seems like it's the least he could do. At the end of the day, this may not be surprising, but the implications can be greater than you'd imagine too. Each year, more and more companies fall, the mall is dead, and Amazon and a few other big businesses seem to have monopolized or eaten up everything in sight. Everyone fears death by Amazon and for good reason. Amazon doesn't just wipe out competition, but they don't play fairly either. They rip off others left and right. They pick the best sellers on their site and copy them, then use aggressive techniques to achieve market dominance. They've branched into restaurant delivery, music streaming, and handmade items like Etsy. They're a great white shark, and as more large competitors like Sears fall victim to them, the more they dominate and swallow the rest of the ocean whole. Maybe you don't care about Sears in particular, and that's fine. As we said, Amazon alone didn't end them. But my concern here is the lack of competition for Amazon. My concern is just how far their unethical business practices can spread. And that's what sucks about Sears' downfall in the long term, even more than Sears itself. But the question remains is, what do you think about Sears? Do you think it actually had it coming? Let me know your thoughts in the comments below. And as always, thank you so much for joining me for another episode of The Corporate Casket. I hope you enjoyed, and if you learned something new, make sure you're liking, following, and subscribing as well to stay up to date with all the latest episodes. Thank you as always, and I'll see you in the next one. Bye.